This is episode 17 of the Walk Magazine podcast. Walk with me. Would you walk with me? And if you walk with me, I'll walk with you for eternity. Hi, I'm Cindy Lehman, the host of the Walk Magazine podcast. This episode features interviews with two Olympic hopefuls, Michael Minozzi and Miranda Melville. Um, They are both going to be competing in the Olympic trials for the 20K race walk this week. Um, I had talked to both of them over a week ago and things happened. I just did not get this episode edited as quickly as I wanted. And they both had so much to say and I was trying to to cut it down a little bit so that the episode wouldn't be so long. But anyway, they're both very interesting, very enthusiastic, and I really hope they both make the Olympic team because they're both great athletes. Um, I actually met Michael a couple of years ago in Columbus. He was helping Tim Seaman and Jeff Salvage with one of their walking clinics. And I can remember Michael saying that he wanted to compete in the Olympics. Like just about everyone else at the clinic, we all just thought, oh, yeah, sure. So you want to compete in the Olympics? And here he is at the Olympic trials for the 20K. He did compete in the Olympic trials for the 50K earlier this week and was earlier this year and did not have the results that he had wished for, but he's rested and he's trained and he's ready for the race this week. Um, I had never met Miranda, but I've read about her quite a bit because Tim Tim Seaman coaches her, and he writes about his athletes, and and I read a variety of race walk results, and her name is everywhere. Um, I recently received a very nice email from Miranda's publicist, who I later found out is her mom, and her mom suggested that I interview her, and and I'm so glad that she did. Um, I contacted Miranda, and she responded really quickly, and, and I had a good time talking with her. Um, because there are two interviews on this episode, it is a little bit long, but both both of these athletes are very interesting. They're both driven, they're enthusiastic, they are ready mentally and physically, and I really hope that you listen to both of them. I'm going to put Miranda first, and after sh- my 17-second interlude of music is going to be the interview with Michael. Would you walk with me? And if you walk with me, I'll walk with you for eternity. Well, thank you for joining me today, Miranda. Thank you for having me. Um, one of the one of the things I think um, a lot of race a lot of potential race walkers wonder is how does someone get started in race walking, especially since it's not not a real popular sport so how did you get started in race walking so for me since like you just mentioned it's not a mainstream sport uh in the state of new york they actually have it for girls high school track and field in indoor track and field and so they just have a 1500 meter walk it's part of all the regular events at a track meet and when i was a freshman in high school i started Uh, doing indoor track and field and my coach at the time said we needed someone in that event and I feel like you could do that event and so I tried it and through high school I ended up loving it and wanting to continue with it. Wow what that's great that your coach was willing to see that in you. 
And then after you graduated from high school, you did race walk in college too, right? Yes. So I went to the University of Wisconsin Parkside, which uh, is a D2 school and did not have race walking. So I ran for that school, but the coach there had coached race walking in the past. And so he continued to coach me in race walking while I was uh, attending that school. So I was able to run cross country and track and field at that school and still participate in the sport I wanted to. Um, and, and of course, study and, and get move forward in my life as a graduate and hopefully onto a job. Okay, I could have sworn I thought that school had race walking. It did. It used to be an NAI school, and then they converted to D2 uh, right before I attended there. So okay. uh, as an NAI school, they have race walking in the NAI programs, and so he was a really great NAI uh, race walking coach. So that is how I heard about him, and I attended there partially because of that. Well, and and I'm assuming that you still like race walking better than cross country. I like race walking better than I like most track and field events. I wouldn't say I love it more than I loved cross country. Cross country is something I think that has a totally different feel to it, a totally different team camaraderie to it versus track and field. Track and field feels way more individualized in each event as opposed to cross country. You're really working together to push each other. And I mean... Being from the Northeast and going to a school in the Midwest, their courses that you run are so beautiful, especially in the fall, that I would definitely say there's a part of me that, that misses those days of running through that fall foliage and all those colors and running up and down hills. But I'm definitely more of a race walker, and I, I enjoy race walking fully, and I, I don't regret choosing to race walk. Well, and it's taken you pretty far in life so far. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's no doubt in that. So in the race walk, which are your favorite distances? My favorite distances in the race walk are probably the 10K and the 5K. We race um, at an international and Olympic level, the 20K, and I, I do enjoy the 20K. There's just totally different mentalities to each distance. Um, so for me, I kind of, I like to know where I'm at in a 5k and 10k. Cause I feel like that's more of a reassurance for me to know where I would be in a 20k. And, um, what, what events have you felt the most successful in, in some of these races? So I find that, um, like I really, have gotten a lot stronger at competing internationally. Um, it's something that, you know, I think came with time, you know, you learn to, to calm your nerves and to focus into, you know, how to prepare yourself at a big international meet overseas and what you need to do as an athlete. And so I feel though, as though I've gotten better and I, I hope to continue to get better at those types of events. Um, I think I've just gotten stronger at the 20 K over the years in general. It's, it's a distance that takes some patience like anything. And I find that, you know, last year being um, the 2015 national champion was amazing and a big bolster of, you know, saying like, Hey, I can, I can handle this event. Now I feel as though I'm getting very successful and going where I want to go. 
And what was your finish time in that race? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, it wasn't a PR. It was, I think we, I was 136, maybe 37. I, I can't quite remember my finishing time. It was more of just a triumphant day of winning. <laughs> you are being coached by Tim Seaman. Yes. And what do, what do you think about him compared to other coaches you had? Tim has definitely brought me to, you know, the level, the Olympic caliber level that I want to be at or to continue to work towards. Um, you know, I think my high school coach was somebody who got me started, who, who kind of taught you the basics of what being an athlete really should mean and how much focus it can take. My college coach got me to step it up and do the 20K, and he provided me with ample opportunity to get stronger and become a more mentally fierce athlete. And then uh, Tim now has just brought me to a whole new another level. You know, we've had such tremendous success together. And I know it's because, you know, he's a coach that I trust and I believe in his training. And I know he can also trust me to get what I need to get done to be successful. And, and you went to San Diego so that he could teach or so he could coach you, correct? Yeah, uh, I graduated Parkside in 2011, and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I was looking at applying to different graduate schools. I had a, a job offer, and I also knew I still wanted to race walk, especially since we were going into an Olympic year. And when I when I was thinking about it all, you know, Tim and I, I knew I needed another coach. Tim said, you know, if you move out to San Diego, I'll coach you. And, you know, just the thought of living in San Diego, I was basically sold. I was like, oh, everything else will work out. We'll figure it out from there. But I'm going to San Diego. <laughs> well, after living in Wisconsin, the weather alone would do it for me. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And so what is, what is a typical training week like? So we go through our different phases of the season. Um, in the fall, we go through a more base season training where we have a lot higher mileage. We'll do closer to 90 miles a week. Um, we're not doing much speed work at all. Uh, we're lifting three times a week and we're just kind of revving, you know, putting in all the work to build basically our, our cardio engine. Um, and then once racing season kind of steps in, we start doing a lot more speed workouts, a lot more fart licks. Um, mileage comes down a little bit more to maybe 80 to 75 miles a week. It's not nearly as high. Uh, and then as we really taper for a race, we, we drop the mileage completely and, and we are lifting weights um, in a different manner and kind of just really to get to, to go fast, hopefully for the race. And how, how soon before a really big race do you start tapering? We start tapering close to about two weeks. Uh, it depends sometimes on the race or how long the race is. Typically for 20K, it's about two weeks. Um, sometimes for a shorter race where we don't feel like we need as much of a taper, uh, it may only, it may be shorter than two weeks. So it just, it just depends on the race or how um, important we've ranked the race in the season. So have you started tapering yet for the Olympic trial? Yes, I have. We're today marks two weeks till we race. So <laughs> we are starting the tapering today. <laughs> Do you like tapering? 
Yeah, I do. I enjoy having high mileage, but I think especially this time of year when you're going into such an important race, I enjoy the idea of tapering, knowing that the race is coming, that, you know, you focused on this for so long and it's finally going to be here. So enjoy this taper, this lower mileage, um, the less stress, keep yourself less stressed outside of training and know that it's, it's all going to culminate together to be a good day. And you have already hit the Olympic qualifying time once, right? Um, I've hit it a couple times this oh. year. Yes. So my my first 20K of the season, uh, I walked a huge PR of 89 seconds and walked 131.42, which is my, my oh. personal best. Um, and that was in the Asian Championships on... It actually was on my birthday, March 20th, in uh, Nomi, Japan, which was, it was like a, the best birthday gift ever to give yourself. <laughs> um, oh, and then, fantastic. and then we walked, um, I walked in Rome uh, at the World Team Championships for race walking. I walked 134.10, which was also under the Olympic standard. So I walked it a couple times already this season, and I've, I've walked it before in years before. So when I heard that it was 136, I was not necessarily worried. Oh, that's great. That's going to just make preparing for the race so much easier mentally. Yes, it does. It's it's kind of like a weight off the shoulder. <laughs> so... I don't know if a lot of people know that you tried out for the Olympic race walk team four years ago, too. Yes, 2012. Go ahead and tell people what happened. So I, I wouldn't say I had the strongest shot of making the team in 2012. It was kind of like a, a shot in the dark. <laughs> I had just moved out to San Diego and I trained under Tim. It was my first year under Tim Seaman. And training was going well, but racing wasn't going as well as we wanted. Um, and then finally, I don't, I'm, I guess that day I kind of flipped a switch and said, you know, I'm going to really go for this. And um, the leaders had quite a lead of at least th 300 meters on me until about 10 K to go. And then I caught them and it, it came down to just me and my teammate Maria that day. And with the last 200, 100 meters left to go, she out sprinted me and I missed making the Olympic team by just about three seconds. Oh my gosh. So that's really a good news, bad news story, right? Yes. It was a huge PR that day. It was a huge accomplishment of racing for me. Um, a huge mental booster in so many ways, but it was also a quit a bit, defeating knowing I was so close but didn't quite make it <laughs> so how did that affect you by missing by only three seconds I think part of me was a bit shocked at how fast I went that day uh and I think a part of me was grateful for such a, a great race and then another part of me was like uh you really couldn't have pushed it that extra little bit in the last 200 meters. Uh, and, you know, and Maria, she's, she's been racing a bit longer than I have, and she's an awesome competitor. And so, you know, it wasn't anything to, you know, I went up against the best in the U S at that time. And it was, 
it was so exciting to be like, hey, I'm finally in the mix. I'm, I'm doing this. And then to, I ended up watching, you know, the Olympics and I got to see how Maria did in London and she did amazing. She set a huge PR and that was actually very reassuring for me to know that, you know, I already set my PR at the Olympic trials. I don't know if I could have walked another two minutes faster like she did at the Olympics. And so it made me feel like, you know, we sent, we sent somebody who was very strong and who showed how strong the U.S. is in race walking and that we're coming up. And that was very reassuring to be like, you know what? I may not have made it, but she definitely, she showed that she deserved to be there no matter what. So it's, it was a good feeling all in all. Um, and in 2013, you, you had an, an accident that you had to recover from too. Yes. In 2013, it was just awful. It was one, one thing after another. Uh, it started off with four broken ribs. Uh, I was training one day and a cyclist on a bike path uh, ran into me <laughs> and broke four of my ribs. So that was a good kickstart to the year. <laughs> uh, recovering from that was a bit challenging and a bit scary. And then from there, um, I ended up having a hamstring issue. I had, um, I ended up being anemic at one point during the season. And then I also going into nationals in 2013 was uh, fighting plantar fasciitis. So it was, it was just awful. And I, you know, I thought going through all of that, you know, all right, you know, 2013, I ended up making my first world championship team. I was like, it was all worth it. You know, you're going to go compete at the world championships in Moscow. It's going to be all okay. This was all worth it. And then in Moscow, for the first time ever, um, I was DQ'd, and it was it was just the cherry on the, the awful season I was having. So it was definitely that that was definitely a big mental struggle to overcome for me after that race. You know, I took a lot of time to myself and was just like, I don't know, is it worth continuing? And so that that definitely was a, a defining moment. <laughs> For people who don't understand race walking, explain how you can get DQ'd. Yes. So our sport is one of the most technical sports in track and field. You can get disqualified if you get three red cards. And the way you get three red cards is you have to, there's two rules in race walking and you'd have to be breaking those rules. So the first rule um, is one foot has to be on the ground at all times, according to the human eye. So, you know, it doesn't matter if in a picture you look like you're off the ground, but as long as you're racing and, and the judges on the course don't think you've lost contact with the ground, you're okay. But if you do lose contact, they will give you a warning paddle to let you know that you have loss of contact. The other rule is that when your lead leg hits the ground, your knee needs to be straight until that leg has kind of passed under the body and then you can bend to bring it through. So if your lead leg, when it hits the ground, your knee is looking bent, you can also get a warning paddle from a judge on the course saying that you have a bent knee. And so it's at these judges' liberty um, to give you a red card. And so if you get a red card from three different judges, you will be disqualified and pulled off the race course. And how many judges are there normally on a course? It can depend on how big the race is. The minimum, like I've seen, is three. Um, I've seen up to, I think, about six on some of the bigger international races. 
So, and they, they rotate on the course too. They don't stay in the same position. So they don't, so, you know, if, if you have somebody who's really bad on the turns and, you know, they just can't quite handle the turns as well, um, you could ha technically have three different judges on a turn and it's, you could be fine on the straightaways, but on those turns, because of those turns, you could be getting paddles and be getting disqualified. Wow, and, and if I remember correctly, one a judge cannot give you more than one red paddle. Yes, exactly. So it would be really helpful if they were in the same spot all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's not something you're looking for when you're racing. You have to have complete confidence that your technique is fine. And if it's not, you have to have cues in your own mind to remind yourself of to, to kind of keep your technique together and you shouldn't be looking for judges or watching for judges. You should just be kind of focused on what you are doing and what's going on in front of you and around you. And, you know, so that you can excel in the race. Cause if you're, if you're getting hung up on looking at the judges or the judges looking you, it's, it's a huge distraction in it. You know, you can, if you think that they're watching you too intently for any reason, um, you can just lose a lot of confidence that day. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So you're you're capering now, getting ready for um, the Olympic trials in in Oregon. And how far mm -hmm. in advance of that race will you actually go to Oregon? So our race is on June thirtieth, um, and I will be flying up on June twenty seventh. Uh, I live on the West Coast, so I I don't feel too worried to be there for any time changes. Maybe if this was on the East Coast, I would have left a day earlier, given myself an extra day to kind of get on that East Coast time zone. But since I'm on the West Coast and this race is on the West Coast, it's very easy for me to just uh, fly up to Portland and then our race is in Salem. So I'll drive down to Salem and, you know, you just you're there. You can kind of see the course personally if you want um you know and you're just relaxing those days leading up okay and will you change how you eat during those few days not really <laughs> i mean i maybe maybe i should <laughs> but i really don't <laughs> i keep it pretty i keep everything pretty much the same and consistent i do what you know i think consistency is key and i i learned over the years what works for my body so far and so that's what i kind of keep with um maybe in future years to come we'll try some different things and see if it, it's worth me changing things that those few days before but especially since we're here in the u.s there's you know i'm used to all the food i'm used to the water i don't have to worry about anything like that so i, I won't change my eating habits what is your your typical um dinner the night before a race so a lot of times i actually get Vietnamese food or um, Asian food before I, I typically eat things that aren't as processed so I don't really eat pasta or breads so I tend to eat more rice or potato or um, squash based like carb meals so to go to like an Asian place it's very easy for me just to get some white or brown rice get some meat get some vegetables and you know have have like all the all the different things I feel I need on my plate the night before. Oh, that's a great idea. I never thought of Asian food before. Just don't get anything like too oily or spicy. <laughs> that, that's what I would recommend. Because then if you're not used to that day before you race, that, that could play a part the next day. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, yeah. Um, there's been a, a lot of talk lately about women wanting to do the 50K. Is that something that you're interested in doing? Right now, I'm not interested. I do completely agree that women should have two races. It's I do feel like that it's a bit unfair that we don't. And I remember saying that years ago, like being like, well, why don't we have two races in my young, naive state back then of the sport? And um, I, I commend anybody who can do a 50K. I mean, that is that takes a whole other type of toll on your body and takes a whole totally different type of training. Um, I mean, you're, you're going farther than marathoners. And so I just, I can't fathom, you know, what goes through your mind when you're on that last 10 K even, but you know, I, I hope we do get two races and maybe in the future I'd be interested in doing a 50 K. But as of right now, it's, it's not something quite, quite on my list to, to go and accomplish. Um, a lot of people probably are not aware that there's not automatic money given to you when you're training for an Olympic event. So it gets pretty expensive, and I'm I'm hoping that you probably have sponsors of some type. I do. I am very fortunate to be sponsored by the New York Athletic Club and by the Skechers performance team. Um, Skechers was just recently this year, and I'm so happy that they were willing to take me on as one of their athletes. It's not easy for a race walker to get sponsorship. Uh, it's, you know, you're playing up against a lot of, a lot of bigger name sports, a lot of, even, even just in track and field, you know, they pay, you know, more people pay attention to sprinters or towards, you know, the really popular events versus our event. So um, I'm very fortunate for what I have. And then the way that I have luckily been getting by these years is, is a lot of grant writing. Um, the Greater Rochester Amateur Athletics Federation uh, has been so helpful to me these past like four to five years. You know, they've been right there believing in me and um, as I apply for grants. And I've been so fortunate that they've been able to assist in my, in my training uh, also, you know, the Women's Sports Foundation has, is a great, great foundation that helps women in all sports, and they have great, great girls just to look up to. You know, they're so inspiring, and it doesn't matter if they're in wrestling or, you know, in tennis or, or any sport. You know, you see these girls, they're doing the same struggles as you, and it's just such great reassurance. So when you get picked for a grant with those girls, it's it's almost like, you know, your confidence goes up a little bit. So you're like, wow, they think that I have potential like those girls do too. So it's, you know, there's, there's lots of great um, foundations out there to help, to help athletes, but it, it's not a lucrative thing, especially for race walking. And um, I do have to work part-time. Luckily, I only have to work part-time right now, um, but I'm sure in the future it will have to be full-time uh, and then to try to continue going. But right now I do mostly just tutoring for SAT and ACT prep. And it's very, very rewarding to work with my students. And, you know, it's a flexible job that, you know, I can get my training done in the morning because most kids are in school. And then in, when they're done with school, I can spend my time at night working with different students and helping them prepare for to achieve goals that they have for their future. There are a lot of people like me who are never going to be very fast, but we, we still enjoy race walking. What kind of advice do you have for us if we're planning or thinking about entering a judged race walk? You know, it's, 
if you're going to enter any type of race and even it, whether it's judged or not judged, you know, you're just going to happen like a half marathon or a 5k that you think you want to race walk through, you know, just make sure you're training enough before that you're not going to injure yourself. I think that's the, you know, you always want to start on, you want to be able to start on a start line, healthy, pain-free. And I think that is most important always, you know? And so um, I would just say, you know, make sure for whatever distance you're going to try and do, you're preparing yourself for that distance. Don't, and if you, if you need help preparing for that distance, you know, feel free to ask somebody, you know, you should never be, you know, ashamed to ask for help, especially when it comes, if you are in a judge race for technique, you know, it's important to find people that know the technique and can help you. So if you feel like, you know, you enter a judge race and maybe you get disqualified and you're like, well, I don't know how to fix it. You know, it's important to find someone you can talk to and, you know, maybe they can look at your technique or your form and say, oh, it's a simple fix or, oh, we should work on this for a while. And um, that way, you know, next time you go in, you're fully ready and you can prove those judges wrong. That's great advice. Um, is there anything I did not ask you about that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I guess uh, I do have uh, a website right now. It's MirandaRacewalks.com. And I have a donation fund going towards uh, the Olympics and Olympic trials right now. Um, so it's up until July 10th. And so if anybody is interested in donating, that is always greatly appreciated. And that's another way to kind of, that athletes are funding themselves this year. There's a lot of people I know from the Olympic Training Center and from different, ath um, different um, athletics trying to, you know, cover the cost of how expensive it is to not only train to try and make Rio, but once they've made it, you know, get there and get their parents there. And that, you know, I have a fund going for that. If, if that's anything else to add. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything we can do to help you get there. <laughs> well, and, and so the Olympic trials is June 30th and mm -hmm. If you do make the team, when would you be racing in Rio? Um, in Rio, the women's 20K goes off August 19th. We're like the third to last day. <laughs> so okay. it would be, it'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, luckily we'd have a lot of time to prepare. So because we're so early in the trials, we'd know right away. And then we'd have that kind of little extra week and a half there of when the Olympics start to keep, continue preparing. Great. Well, it sounds like you are both physically and mentally ready. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Would you walk with me? And if you walk with me, I'll walk with you for eternity. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be joining you, Cindy. Thank you. For the record, Michael, you are a race walker, and you are on your way to the Olympic trials, correct? Yes, that is correct. And um, which event are you walking in? I will be competing in the uh, men's 20K race walk, uh, but this will be the second of the two events, the other being the 50K race walk, which I had competed in in February 21st of this year. The 50K race walk and the marathon Olympic trials are held separately from the rest of the track and field events. And my okay. understanding is, number one, they're both, 
Yeah, the, my, there, there's people who double, uh, who compete, believe it or not, in the 20K and the 50K that have a shot at the Olympics. And mm-hmm. there's also people who do the same thing, like with the 10,000, oftentimes will try to make it the marathon. There's not a, an abundance of athletes, but there are multiple ones who qualify for the trials or both. So it gives them enough time to recover from the marathon or the 50K and then try to recover, switch gears, and train for the other distances that they choose or that they have already qualified for that they've chosen to go after. Okay. Okay. That's, I, I'm, uh, thank you for explaining that. Um, when did you first start race walking? I began race walking in March of 2008. Uh, so that was, that was one of, so eight years, just over eight years ago. And what made you decide to pick up the sport? Interestingly enough, there was a, a few different factors. The first one being I went to a college that was an NAIA college, which I'm fortunate for because they contest the race walk at conference meets uh, and at the national championships. And I was, although I was recruited for wrestling, I was a backup wrestler. I still was on the team, still trained, but I wasn't getting a lot of mat time in terms of in the starting lineup and I always had uh, this, while I was in college, this fondness, this desire to try to be a part of the track team. And I had a sense that maybe I can do it. And once I finally, you know, um, had the courage just to risk being told no, straight out no, or trying it and not succeeding, um, I talked to the coaches, joined the team as a, you know, runner. I ended up becoming like a mid-distance runner. Um, not really a point scorer. I wasn't that great. I was pretty good for a guy that just got off the wrestling mats. It was pretty commendable, but it wasn't anything that would have gotten me to nationals or really benefited my team at dual meets or at meets in general. Uh, I ended up doing the javelin for about three weeks and maybe about three or four meets. Um, and if, actually, no, I'm, I'm incorrect. I did it for about two years total, but at this point, um, it was about three, four weeks into it. And the javelin coach told me he knew I, you know, I wasn't going to score at conference most likely. And he said, Hey, you know, if you're open to it, we might be able to throw you in the race walk, but I, he was curious to see if I can learn that how quick I could learn the technique. He gave me some pointers, um, based on what he knew. And that was, it was going to have to wait a year. Now that was actually 2007. So I didn't really do anything with it other than he showed me maybe the straight leg roll and had me go up and down a hallway. And that was the end of it because the coach at the time uh, wasn't confident that I could do it. Didn't want to risk injury because of my commitment with the wrestling team. So in 2008, I came out for the team with the understanding and full of passion and uh, willingness to learn and try the event. So it started in 2008 and um, so it was a walk-on to the track team, and that's when things really started to uh, take off. And how did you do? Uh, not too well at first. I didn't understand the technique. I mean, keep in mind, I'd watch YouTube videos. I'd Facebook some people uh, because I, I was so eager to learn about it. And I did read some books. My college helped borrow some books on interlibrary loan that were from, like, the 70s from other colleges. And I was very intrigued. Unfortunately, you really need to to get better at race walking. You need to be taught the technique uh, or at least tweaked. Everyone's different, but everyone has natural tendencies that may or may not help them. Well, I had a lot that didn't help, 
and being that in the combination that I wasn't the most aerobically fit coming off, you know, the wrestling season, starting race walking the very next day, um, I into the track season, I didn't have a lot of time to be both aerobically fit, uh, have instruction to learn the technique and master the technique. So at first it was a rocky. Uh, I got disqualified at my first outdoor NAIA nationals, but uh, Vince Peters had approached me and handed me a, uh, a flyer for a talent ID camp which they used to do for mostly juniors and people with uh, two or less years of collegiate experience. I had applied and three-time Olympian and um, a U.S. grade Philip Dunn had re- sent me an email and he said, dear Italian stallion, sign up for the camp. And I was shocked that he addressed me that because I obviously wouldn't have signed an application writing in my moniker. I knew it to someone who I would have assumed wouldn't have any clue who I was. So, so that that made that was a big difference maker with the likes of Dave McGovern, Marianne Daniel, Tom Eastler, they really and Diane Graham Henry, they really helped myself and a lot of other juniors um at the time and a couple other collegiate athletes uh to give you a chance to learn uh to understand more broadly what race walking entails, the, the commitment if you want to continue uh and be competitive and of course I was chomping at the bit so this was like uh you know, going to Toys R Us for a kid. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, really a wonderful experience, and that was in the summer of 2008. So I'd only been in the I'd only been doing it truly for about three months at that time. And then did was your second season better? Uh, yes, uh, when I was a I was actually a sophomore for that outdoor season. My junior year. I became Notre Dame College in Ohio's first ever male All-American in track and field uh, at the Indoor Nationals by finishing sixth. And wow. then I, by my senior year, I was a uh, upset um, and surprise national champion indoors, and I became an All-American outdoors as well for a third time by finishing third. Uh, to one of them was Anaki Gomez, who is uh, one of the best walkers in the world at this day and age. Mm-hmm. So um, I was I was a distant third behind him and Josh Wiseman of Cedarville, but it was progress considering I only had been two years off the wrestling mat uh, and on the, and into the sport. So it was um, it was definitely a great start. Oh yeah, I mean that's 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 picking up pretty fast, I think. <laughs> It was a dream come true. When did you set the goal to make the Olympic team? I would say I set that goal. The seed was planted before I even raced my first race. But with time, with experiences, and with progress, it has remained a big goal to me. However, I've learned that Keeping that in mind helps you not to quit, but you really have to address each day as its own, um, each short-term goal, each race. And you have to maybe have the Olympic goal in mind not to quit when times get tough, but you have to break it down, uh, at least in my case. I know that I have to set realistic goals and some goals that are short-term as opposed to thinking about, hey, in four years, I'll do this. Well, it's not thinking about four years. It's thinking about every day, you know, the little things like uh, your habits, what you do, uh, how often you get to bed and get up and train, uh, your diet. Those things are really, I think, um, variables that we have control over that can affect our performance more than we realize. Right. 
Do you have a coach? I do. I have a coach named Stafford Whalen. He is in Toronto area. Um, he is a Canadian uh, citizen and coach. And because of my circumstances, it worked out pretty well to come. My wife lives in Toronto and has been living here. And I have recently relocated here. Although I frequently go back to the U.S., um, I'm settled a bit here with my wife, at least for the time being. We're in uh, we're settled where we are in our apartment in Toronto, and um, so I've had the benefit of having a coach there, and he's he has his hands full with many commitments, so he and I don't necessarily see each other all the time, but I know when our schedules can, uh, when it can work for both of us, we'll see each other, but um, yeah, for right now, that's, uh, you know, you know, you do the best you can, so with what you have. Do you mind explaining what some of your workouts are like right now? Uh, not a problem. Um, I'm, there's a couple of things to keep in mind. I'm, I just five weeks ago had done a 50 K at the world team championships in Rome, Italy. And then I had, you know, so I had to recover. So I spent about two weeks doing very easy, um, not very explicit workouts. And then I've been building up for about the last two weeks leading into this next, um, event, which will be the 20 K Olympic trials. So ideally you'd want more than a month. Uh, to prepare for an Olympic trial event. But when you make your goals throughout a year, sometimes that's what happens because the World Team Championships was so close. Um, so mm-hmm. that played into my trainings. Um, so what what a typical week, like I'll just give you this week. Uh, today was an off day. I just do about an hour work on flexibility, massaging my hamstrings, calves, hip flexors. Um, I... Tomorrow we'll have a speed workout, or I could switch it with Wednesday, whichever how my body responds the best. Uh, I have a which in a speed workout I don't just jump into intervals. I'll start with a 4k, uh, 3k at least warm up, do some drills, and then I'll do three by 400 meter repeats at a pretty quick time, like a minute 40 seconds or faster, to get myself used to the. Um, repetition to kind of get myself, you know, acquainted to it so it doesn't seem as a shock in the intervals. And then I'll do 10 by 1K uh, with two minutes rest between them. And uh, my target time will be four minutes and 20 seconds roughly. Um, that, okay. That, you know, and that can change based on how you feel that day, the weather, um, you know, and that would change from athlete to athlete too and where they're at in their training. So that's just where I'm at right now. Uh, so then the following day, I would do a 12K easy recovery, and um, I'd try to keep my heart rate low and not, you know, obviously not try to, you know, go too fast. I'm not going to walk uh, faster than 27, 28 minutes per 5K um, pace. Thursday, I would do a 15K easy, still recovering from the speed workout. Friday, we'll do a 15K. And when I do the easy 15Ks, I focus on technique. Uh, Of course, like most walkers, you have to battle pushing aside any negative thoughts or anything that's too distracting because, you know, you're there. This is the time to get the muscle memory and to, um, to, you know, help perfect your technique and the good things and remind yourself about, you know, whatever cues you need to help you uh, correct errors or um, any wasted motion and technique. And then Saturday, I'll do a 15K quality workout, 
but I'll have a 4K warm-up and a 2K cool-down. Um, not a race, just a quality, like, longer session uh, where I'll go about 26 minutes, 25 minutes per 5K and uh, for a total of 15K. And that will be to get a little bit of volume because keep in mind I'll be just less than two weeks at this point from the Olympic trials. Right. And then Sunday I'll just do do an easy um, an easy 15K and make sure everything's in working order for the next week. So is Monday your only rest day? Uh, yes, and I you don't usually get a lot of days off, uh, so I'm pretty surprised. But my coach, I know when I spoke to him, we he was pretty adamant that at this point, this close to the trials and with the limited time between the 50K and this 20, he realized there's more danger in doing too much than doing too little. So if I went into the trials overtrained or hurt, it could be worse than if I went in slightly undertrained where at least you, you know, you're not risking injury. Mhm. Okay. And um the Olympic trials are in Eugene? Eugene, Oregon? Uh correct. And okay. they are, but the race walk is contested in Salem, the state capital, and it will be contested on June thirtieth, which is actually called day zero, uh the day before the rest of the tr- uh the rest of the trial events start. How how many days in advance will you get there? I will get there four days in advance, so I'll arrive on Sunday the 26th. Okay. And it it gets kind of expensive to be trying to make the Olympic team, doesn't it? It certainly does. Uh, I think you can get, you know, the more involved one is with race walking, especially if you're going to events, competitions, uh, et cetera. I certainly can, I'm sure most people can relate that it can become, um, it can become costly and, and you have to plan a lot of time to, um, plan travel and, you know, the costs involved with it. And so you have sponsors. Uh, yes. Part of then part of the game of survival has certainly been to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I've had to partner with different businesses, both national, nationwide and local, uh, local to Northeast Ohio, where I'm from, and uh, to really try to make it work, save on expenses that you can have for living expenses, and keep yourself going. Well, it looks like you've been getting a lot of support from your hometown. I've been very fortunate. Uh, Youngstown, Ohio is where I'm from, and it's not a very it's, – it, it's a city that's not been the most um, familiar or historically familiar with race walking, but they do have that – one thing, beautiful thing I love about the U.S. is uh, a lot of these cities and towns have a sense of pride and successes from their area, and they get behind people, whether it be people doing it in the sport or doing it for a cause. I've noticed, I, I, it's one thing I like is to see how people have seemed to gather and be rather supportive as opposed to turning people down in terms of communities and, uh, and you know, stores and businesses within communities. And that's one thing that I'm, I'm very uh, gracious for that I've, that I've had through Youngstown. And it's, and it's gotten better, especially in the last two years. I would say it's doubled in the last year or two for me which is ironic oh, because I'm back and forth in Toronto. <laughs> I'm sure the people in Youngstown miss you. <laughs> uh, they um, actually, uh, yeah, a lot of people do. 
Well, and what finish time do you have to make at the trials to be able to qualify for the Olympic team? For the 20K, uh, for the men, an athlete would have to walk under one hour and 24 minutes. Okay. Do you would you would you be of interest to tell the women's 20k time and then the 50k time as well? Sure. Uh, the women for the women to go to the Olympics, they would have to walk under uh, one hour and 36 minutes. Just they'd have to break that, so one hour 35 59 uh, to make the team the Rio. And then for the 50k, uh, right now it's only a men's only event um, at this point in time. You know, and then possibly for this for a while, but. Hey, hopefully things will change and it will be uh, there'll be some parity. But the men to make the 50k team have to walk under four hours and six minutes to make the Olympic team. So they'd have to walk a uh, four hours five minutes 59 seconds. You're in. And for but people who aren't really good at converting miles per hour to kilometer, do you have any idea how many minutes per mile that is? Yeah, if you walk about uh, for a 50k, if you can walk it in about just under, I think that's about between 750 and seven and eight minutes per mile um, for 31 miles in the 50k. Wow. So that yeah, I'd say no slower than no slower than probably 755 actually, just off the top of my head. Um, okay. For the 20 for the 20k. You're looking at walking six minutes for the men, uh, six minutes and about, uh, I'm thinking per mile, six minutes and maybe like 20 seconds per mile. I think it's even faster than that, but uh, it's about six minutes, 20 seconds per mile. I'm so used to using, I'm, I'm always using kilometers just because it's what I'm, uh, you know, exposed to. And then for the, but for the 50 K, Oh, I've already towards the 50. The women's 20 is about seven minutes, to, uh, seven minutes and about 40 seconds per mile would make the team. Okay. okay. So it's it's roughly wow. give or take. You know, I might be off on some of my numbers about 10 seconds uh, delta on all the numbers I gave you, but that's that's about the ballpark of uh, the, of the mileage. The the pace of the 50k seems a lot slower than what I had expected. Maybe just because no, I No, that's I that's no okay. That the 50k is one that you, the pace especially for the top athletes, the pace doesn't necessarily seem as because it's a different type of race than the 20. So the pace won't necessarily uh amaze someone at first or seem that fast, but the the strength and the endurance and the mental fortitude it takes to carry it over 31 miles, mm-hmm. it's just an unbelievably brutal task that would make one appreciate a 20K. But a 20K is intense. It's just a, it's a higher intensity, but it's a more compact amount of time. It's within an hour and a half or less, whereas a 50, you have to be ready to suffer uh, for, a lot, for a great amount of time yeah. and still be able to keep yourself mentally sharp to keep the pace without falling off because as your body's pleading for you to stop. And maintain form. Um, and maintain well, and form, did, absolutely. And how did you do in the 50K? I did very I, – I would say I did the best I could, all things possible. I'm, I'm pleased with my performance. I finished third, so I made podium. 
uh, the trials, but I do not have the Olympic qualifying time, the uh, 4.05 needed. I'm pretty far off. I walked, uh, when I say far off, that's relative, but I, I walked um, a small PR of 4 hours, 31 minutes, and 46 seconds. And <laughs> I, yeah, which is still not, you know, it's, it's on a world stage, it's not considered fast. On the national stage, it's pretty good. But um, yeah, I, I was in a position where I, I knew it could be a little bit uh, dicey. I mean, I was training in Toronto. My wife and I are preparing at the time for the birth of our son. And um, I was I was here training the majority of the time. And it's the same story in Northeast Ohio. Uh, the weather was about 24 degrees to 28 degrees on average in Toronto Fahrenheit. And the race in San Diego actually was in Santee, right, right outside San Diego for the 50K it got up to at least 75 during the last two hours of the race. So that's a pretty big jump in terms of what one is acclimated to and then what one is faced to endure during the competition. So considering I only had a small PR, um, when I look at what I have written down for all the temperatures in my training log, it's actually impressive when I look back that I raced in a race that was uh, over 40 degrees, uh, pushing 50 degrees difference. Uh, and, and, of course, the sun is more intense when I was in a Santee right. than it is in the winter in Toronto. And that's pretty impressive. Wow. <laughs> so outside of race walking, what is your life like? Well, it's been changing a lot, to be honest. The last, uh, the last two years, it's been a lot of being patient and rolling with the punches. It's, um, uh, my wife and I got married a year and a half ago. I have since been applying to work in Toronto, Canada, where we knew we'd be, at least for the time being, like nothing is, you know, life is always changing. So we don't know where we'll, where we'll end up settling here or anywhere else for the time. But for the time being, we're here and um, we're making the most of it. So I'm, I've been applying to get a work visa to work here in Toronto, Canada, and that has taken longer than expected. But those, I guess, I guess when you're dealing with immigration and such, you have to uh, be patient and know that things often will take longer. And as as you said before, you have a brand new son. Yes, uh, we have a three month old, and uh, he is actually sleeping right now. So, well, aren't you lucky? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it he's he's been pretty easy. I mean, new babies do cry; it just comes with the territory. Uh, but he's been a pretty pretty easy baby. Um, I, we didn't know; you never know what you're getting, and. I've been uh, my wife and I have been very fortunate. He's even when he is even when he is awake, he's he's pretty laid back. Except for you know when they cry, they're telling you they need something or something's wrong. So, so it's just so you you in two years you've gotten married, you've moved, and you've had a child, and you're trying out for the Olympic race walk team. Uh, yes. You tend to hit all those high life stresses all at one time, don't you? <laughs> I, I didn't think it was going to be planned that way, but for things to, for what you want in life, you have to be willing to go after it. So it entailed yep. going through these challenges and jumping through these hoops, but yeah, it's it's all it's it's all good. Well, I've seen the pictures of your son, and he is absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. I I appreciate it. I'd have to give his mom uh, some credit there. So. <laughs> 
um, he probably got a, probably got a lot of good qualities from her. I'm just teasing, but uh, but no, he <laughs> yeah, he's he's for, thank you. He's he's a really happy baby, and we're thankful that he's healthy. And I'm glad that he and my wife are both healthy, um, you know, after the birth, and they're both doing well. Yeah, that's great. Not everybody who takes up race walking can plan or even attempt to try for an Olympic race walking team. So for people like me or people who have never tried it before, what are the benefits of race walking over running? Race walking is lower impact. So where a runner might have, you know, be landing with four to five times their body weight, a race walker would be two to three times the body weight, especially if you've had a history of uh, injuries that would be affected with, you know, jarring of your legs or the, the 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 weight bearing exercises this would be uh perhaps a better option and even though people think it hurts the hips it's not as much your hips or your pelvis that's getting hurt because you use your glutes to down there which you know go it's like a chain reaction goes your lower back your glutes fire and it's your hamstrings and calves that get a lot of the work whereas the running uh, is more is more vigorous in the sense that you for the um, quads and for the pounding. So there there are different motions. They use different muscles, and race walking actually does use more muscles, but it's a bit more forgiving in most okay. cases. And if someone wants to get started, how do you recommend they get started? Well. If it's someone that has never even, they've only heard of it and they don't know where to even begin, I would definitely look Google race walking. And another option is when they Google it, there's racewalk.com. Jeff Salvage has a website. And uh, what happens is he keeps it up to date in terms of contacts. So there's people like emails on there, the people that you can contact. You could read about other athletes. You could read about things about interesting things about the sport. Another contact is Dave McGovern, and I do believe his website's called World Class Race Walking or Race Walkers, and I know that he's also another good contact. Who um, and, and they and the benefit of Jeff and people like Jeff and Dave, they have um, many contacts through the country. So if you lived, they both live in the tri-state area of uh, you know Philadelphia, New York City areas. If you lived out on the West Coast, or let's say you lived. Uh, in the Rockies, and you were getting started, they can, you know, help through their connections or through people they know find you a group or an athletic club out there. Now, I don't know how abundant they are throughout the country, but at least it's a start, and at least it's a resource okay. that's available that that people can uh, use to their advantage. You don't have I, to race if you race walk. <laughs> I know it sounds almost like a uh, oxymoron when you're saying it, but yeah. uh, but very very true though you don't have to get into this, into race walking thinking that you're going to have to go out and be super competitive everyone has different life situations and different goals and it can vary from one person i mean literally you can have five people and they can all have very different goals within a within a, an event or within a group of walkers however the benefits and even at the level i'm competing at aren't always just you know how what you place or what you uh, what you you know the medal you got those things are great and I cherish them, but I know that the longer term benefits are the camaraderie, 
uh, this, you know, the people you meet and certainly the health benefits that you get, not only just physically, but it's so good for the mind. You do get the endorphins that runners get, as they call the runner high, mm-hmm. when you accomplish, you know, a distance or a workout. And those are the benefits mm-hmm. that whether you're in the Olympics or you're doing it to help keep yourself fit or something to do as a hobby, you it's a beautiful thing that you have from it, that beautiful, wonderful benefit. I was going to say it definitely has benefits of various kinds that I think, could, you know, that certainly would not exclude people. I think it can hit various groups from the very avid race walker and competitive to someone who's doing it just to stay fit or give them time outdoors to, you know, do something more than just walk or as an alternative to running. For people like me, I I don't think I'm I'm quite a legal race walker yet, but I'm kind of intimidated by trying any of the judged race walks, and I'm really not even sure how to find them or how to bo- go about entering one. What would you recommend for people like me? Well, the first step is I know if if you're in a situation where you're, I would say apprehensive or uncertain about the prospect of doing a judged race walk, I would encourage everyone to try because if, first of all, it would be something that, let's say a worst case scenario, you know, if you're you're risking injury, this is one thing. I'm not going to push someone who says, hey, I have knee pain when I try to straighten my leg. That's something that you can look at that two ways. You could go to a judged event, and if you were disqualified, you could look at and ask the judge, what did you see? And then they tell you, well, when you, you don't straighten this leg, well, then you know medically something's going on or, you know, there's something okay. there. And that, it kind of shines the light that it would need to be addressed. But if you're having pain or issues with it before going to the race, I would advise you to try to get that taken care of before putting yourself under the, uh, you know, under the pressure of doing your first judge race. The other thing is, if you go out there and you get disqualified, you know, nobody wants to get disqualified. I'll admit it's a shameful, it can be humiliating, but it is part of the game. It's part of the risk. As beautiful as the event is, it does have its, you know, the side where nothing nothing worthwhile comes easy. And race walking's not an exception. I would I would encourage people because there's a saying amongst the even the Olympians and the elites that I've bumped elbows with they say you're not really an elite race walker or you're not really a race walker. I've even heard it said simply as that until you've been disqualified. So <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a good wisdom behind that. It means you're taking a chance. You, you push the limit, you take a chance, and you are willing to take the risk. When you toe the line, you accept that that's a possibility. Not a desired one, but it is a possibility. And the thing is, when you get this, if and when someone gets disqualified, it's like I'm talking about like something that's socially forbidden within race walking. Uh, when, when you get disqualified, you don't just hang your head and say, I stink. I'm no good at this. I should never have done this. I wasted my entry fee. I would take it as a learning opportunity. I would talk to the judges. I would ask them what they saw because as an athlete, you have a right to know, at least in my opinion, you have a responsibility. And if you want to get better, it had the burden of responsibility falls on the athlete. Now a judge might say, Hey, I saw so, so many people. I can't remember what you did, but there's still two other judges that would have given you a red card. And I would go to them and I would find out what they saw that caught their eye 
because that's where you learn. That's where you improve, especially if you're in an isolated situation where you don't have a coach to help you with technique or others to help you and say, hey, you've got this and this going wrong. You at least have the benefit of a starting point of knowing what the problem is and then try to find a solution to correct it. And even ask the judges if they have any advice because most of the judges uh, in my experience have had experience as a competitive walker or have been around the sport long enough to at least have some general understanding of, you know, maybe a couple tips that can benefit someone who is lost and not sure what to do. So I, I think that's worst case scenario when you start a judge race, but you can totally surprise yourself, Cindy, you or anyone else. If you go into a judged event, you may get a card or may not. It doesn't matter. You just try to take it as a coaching point and try to correct your form the best you can while you're racing, which is difficult. Believe me, it's part of the challenge of the sport. But you might surprise yourself and do very well in a judged event, and you never knew you had that potential. So it can, in in all ways, I could see it working out to benefit one way or another uh, people who do it. So I would encourage people. Great. And and where do people find race walks in their community? Or I mean, I know they're not everywhere, but we're fortunate in Ohio that there are. How do people find them? There is a couple thoughts on that. When I mentioned earlier about Jeff Salvage and Dave McGovern, uh, Dave McGovern's I believe is racewalk.com, but Jeff Salvage ha- uh, no Jeff Salvage is, is racewalk.com. I will confirm Dave McGovern's website. They have a list of um races and events and okay. um what they what they do is they list both like masters open different events that contest the race walk throughout the country not just in regions in which they live and those are great resources but the other resource is usatf.org usatf.org when you go to the bottom of the homepage uh what you'll see is you'll see their sponsors and then below the sponsors you have a list of options that will say like about news sports groups events you want to click on sports i would click race walking and then when you click on race walking it will give you another series of options so one has to be a little bit persistent here but it will have like masters race walking uh athlete opportunities okay. performance okay. you know it will have the usa race walk grand prix upcoming national championships and i would select upcoming national championships race walk grand prix to see some of the options to race around the country and uh, those that that can be a starting point so i would say usatf.org racewalk.com which is jeff salvage's site and he usually lists a pretty current date of you know events and what's coming up and so does dave mcgovern on his uh, world-class race walking well, we only have a couple minutes left here before our recording is going to stop. So is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would like to talk about? Uh, as far as it goes with the with race walking, I certainly would just encourage people to be patient. And it's hard to be patient because we're hard on ourselves. I think most people are, and myself included. I would be patient and try. And I would, when you don't find a way the first way, maybe try to approach it another way, whether it be something about technique, about getting involved in the sport to begin with and finding events, as you had mentioned earlier, or it be about how to improve. You have to take what you're given, where you're at in life, and decide what you want out of it. And how you're going to get there is, you know, how you're going to try to do it 
is more, you know, wanting it's important, but trying to figure out how you're going to get there is key. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely important to have at least a pathway or a, a, a kind of a mapped journey of a way to start it and figure it out than just have the desire alone because then you help yourself so you're not just constantly lost. And I think that's where, you know, you don't want people to give up, and it can be difficult sometimes um, to find information or to have answers or to have uh, answers about technique or other details of the event slash sport of race walking when when it's not readily available. So I would just encourage people not to give up and to be persistent. And uh, just like the event requires it, I feel the event is a microcosm of life because we you have to be persistent in life as well to, in order to accomplish things and to um, really get what you want out of it as opposed to, you know, giving up when things don't go your way the first few times even. So. Well, you've come a long way from when I first met you at that Tim Seaman and Jeff Salvage clinic. I mean, you're, you're a lot faster now and you sound so much more confident. And I'm just really proud of everything you've accomplished. But I, I just want to say well, congratulations I'm, on even making the Olympic trials, and everybody here in Ohio is going to be rooting for you. That is so much appreciated, and uh, it is honestly an honor, and it is a privilege to be representing the hardworking people of Ohio and to to be um, to be having people that care and are behind you. That means that means so much to me especially on a lot of the uh, sacrifices and hard days. So thank you kindly. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. I know that you're busy with uh, with your family and your training, and I really appreciate you taking the time. No, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we can uh, make it happen. So uh, if you need anything else, let me know. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Would you walk with me? And if you walk with me, I'll walk with you for eternity. I'm going to make this closing really quick because I want to make sure to get this posted at least the night before the race. Good luck to Miranda and Michael. I, I really hope you both do well and have fantastic races so that you both make the Olympic team. I know you're both ready mentally and physically and Oh, I just wish the best for both of you. Um, I'd like to point out that the Walk With Me theme song was written by Gordon Lehman. It was recorded at Real Time Audio in Denton, Texas. The recording engineer is Eric Delagarde and was produced by Eric Delagarde and Gordon Lehman. Vocals by Whitney Wilson, cello by Madeline Hansen, guitar and Fender Rhodes by Gordon Lehman. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for listening, everybody. And as I always like to say... Why run slow when you can walk really fast? See you next time. Would you walk with me? And if you walk.